The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. My guest this week is ESPN's Heather Dinich, who covers all things college football playoff. We're taping before the latest rankings are out, but it really shouldn't matter. The rankings should be unchanged this week, with Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Michigan at the top. We'll look at some of the hard choices the committee might be forced to make and what results over the next two weeks could cause the most complications. Also, we'll give a glance into the future and try to figure out what would prompt expansion of the college football playoff. Thanks again for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Podcast One and on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe, and if so inclined, give us a good review. It helps college football fans find us and us find more college football fans. As usual, you can go to collegefootball.ap.org where you can read all of AP's coverage. And away we go. Joining me this week is Heather Dinich. She is the college football playoff reporter and college fo- national college football writer for ESPN. But the playoff is mostly her focus, so we're going to talk a lot of playoff stuff. And, you know, we're taping this the week of uh, the Monday before Thanksgiving. So the rankings are still a full day away. And quite frankly, it doesn't matter because we know what the rankings are going to be like this week. So we're going to have this talk about the the playoff without necessarily knowing what exactly the the rankings are going to look like tomorrow. But we have a pretty good idea, right, Heather? Yes, I think that the only real change would be West Virginia obviously dropping out of the top 10 and opening the door for UCF to crack the top 10. The question is, do they jump ahead of Ohio State, which looked terrible to be quite frank in the win against Maryland how high do they climb in that top 10 yeah you know I know Maryland is your backyard but was there any chance that you had just gone to that game just because it was Ohio State or or did you get a get did you watch that on TV no I watched it from the offices at ESPN I wish I would have been there because that may have been the best game of the season I thought I thought it was so fun to watch it as bad as Ohio State played, it was a terrific game. It was just fun to watch. Yeah, you know, I, I if you're a Maryland fan. Yeah, <laughs> especially if you. Well, it, it was it was great for a Maryland fan right until the, the they missed the wide open receiver in the end zone. Yeah, I, right. it, it, we I had a similar experience. I covered Syracuse Notre Dame this past weekend, but really, and because that game kicked off at two thirty and not three thirty, I, I barely watched the first quarter of Syracuse. By the time I got like focused on Syracuse Notre Dame. Syracuse Notre Dame was mostly in the bag. <laughs> you know, Dungey right. was out of the game. It was 20 to nothing. So, I think a lot of folks uh, found themselves this weekend sort of like glued to Maryland Ohio State while they should have been doing other things. Yes, but it was it was worth watching. And you know, everybody's been so focused on Ohio State defense and deservedly so, but they also had 10 penalties and three turnovers in that game. They've got a lot more to fix before that Michigan game. Let's put Ohio State for aside for just a second cuz we'll definitely get into a whole bunch of scenarios and where things could get weird and crazy but you brought up UCF and really that's probably the news of tomorrow becomes how where UCF lands I mean I think we've all sort of resigned ourselves I don't think UCF fans have but I think we've all sort of resigned ourselves to the fact that like UCF is probably not getting into the playoff conversation 
But where might they land, and how close do they need to be to the top four to start at least being interesting in this conversation? At this point in the season, no team outside the top 10 in the CFP ranking has gotten into the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So let's start there. And I I think considering the West Virginia loss and Ohio State, uh, you know, they really could bump to around the the number eight spot maybe. We'll see what the committee does with LSU. Where do they need to go to be interesting? I think they would have to be above the the Big 12, because there's a lot standing in their way, Washington State and the Big 12. Um, and, and I think that a lot of dominoes would need to fall in order for them to really get any serious consideration. But at the same time, all of these rankings play into the New Year's Six bowl lineup. So who you play depends on where you fall in that ranking and who's available. I don't know how deeply you've played this out, but when you start moving some pieces around, you realize that, well, listen, UCF, and, and for people who maybe sometimes forget this, it's not the best group of five team. It's the best group of five conference champion. So right. if, if UCF were to, unlike, let's say, you know, we play out these scenarios where Alabama could lose its conference championship game but still get into the playoff, that can't happen with UCF. UCF can't, even though UCF at the end of the year could have the best resume, if it were to trip up in the AAC championship game, it wouldn't end up in any of these games most likely. Right, and that is the one thing people constantly ask me about another group of five, you know, championship and and everything else. The one thing that those group of five commissioners have talked to me about is why do we have to have a champion when the power five don't have to have a conference champion in case that were to happen? UCF is undefeated and, and the best team and the highest ranked team all season, and then boom, they lose their conference championship game, and then they're they're completely out of that New Year's Six bowl running because of exactly what you said. I remember talking to Mountain West Commissioner Craig Thompson about that after the uh, national championship game last year, and that was kind of one thing that, that he brought up as far as the system was why does our team, our representative, have to be that conference champion? But you know what? It could also work in their favor, if the, and nobody's really that good, and your conference champion is ranked number 35 in the committee's ranking they're still in right and this year if i was kind of looking at it yesterday it positions the mountain west in still pretty good shape because they could conceivably have two teams playing in their conference championship game and the winner no matter who the winner is might look like a good option for highest ranked conference champion whereas with the aac you know, UCF, it stands a chance of, of going in there undefeated. But if it were to lose to like a Houston or a Memphis with three losses, that other team might not be a good option for getting in. So it almost puts the AAC at a little bit of a disadvantage if there's an upset. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, that, none of this is over yet. <laughs> right, right. Not for the Power Five, not for the Group of Five. There are only two games left and, and a lot can still change. We like to sort of play out, what if this happens, what if that happens? What's the scenario that you sort of projected out that provides the most headache, the most agita for the selection committee come December, the night of December 1st? So there are, there are two different ones. And to me, one of the most realistic is Ohio State winning the Big Ten and one loss, Oklahoma 
winning the Big 12. I think that that is a really good debate in that committee meeting room on selection day because both defenses are bad. Both quarterbacks have looked pretty good for the most part. Obviously, Oklahoma's has looked better. But I think that that is not an easy answer, nor is a debate between a one-loss Alabama that loses to Georgia in the SEC championship or Michigan. That's why this Ohio State-Michigan game is so important because if Ohio State wins, it opens the door for other debates in my mind. One being, is it the Big Ten champ being left out for a third straight season in favor of one-loss Oklahoma with a terrible defense? Or is it two SEC teams if Alabama loses to Georgia? And I think if Ohio State wins the league, it's much easier for the selection committee to then justify one of those other options but that being said you've got to give ohio state credit for beating one of their top four teams and i'm not saying that if ohio state wins the big 10 is done i'm just saying it's not as simple as this as if michigan were to win it and doesn't it also bring i think it also brings washington state back in play at least a little right as much as the pac-12 hasn't gotten a whole lot of respect you know washington state in fact i seem to remember even the first week of the rankings thinking to myself well i think washington state was eight or nine and i remember thinking that's pretty good actually that gets Mm -hmm. them in in the ballpark again it gets keeps them in the conversation i would also suggest just as you said it brings the big 12 back in i think it might even bring the pac 12 back in at least into serious discussion it would bring it back into discussion and i think that my personal opinion is beating utah would carry more weight than beating northwestern i think utah is is a better team if that's the way that shakes out Beating Washington is another ranked opponent if they were to win the Apple Cup because Washington just got into the rankings. But at the same time, I think the Pac-12 would be left out because Washington State played Wyoming, San Jose State, and Eastern Washington in its Mm -hmm. non-conference schedule. And not one, not one of the past 16 semifinalists that have made it to the CFP have played such a dreadful non-conference schedule that didn't include one Power 5 opponent. And when you look at their schedule right now, beyond that, Utah, as we sit here today, is the only ranked team that they have beaten. Now, obviously, they would add Washington to that list and maybe Utah a second time. But is that schedule better than any anybody else who's a one-loss Power 5 conference champ? I don't, I don't think so. And the other point to realize is, yeah, they scored 69 points against Arizona is like 96th in the country in points allowed. Right. And I think the non-conference schedule is especially troubling. If you want to go back to the first year of the playoff, right, Baylor was one of the teams that got jumped at the end of the year by Ohio State. You know, we had talked a lot about TCU, but it was actually Baylor that finished fifth that year when it tied with uh, TCU. And And you've even talked to, you know, some of the committee members from that time. I think Barry Alvarez said, listen, you know, we weren't thrilled with Baylor, but they beat TCU and we weren't thrilled with their non-conference schedule. So Ohio State kind of gave us an out. So I, I think mm-hmm. that you never know, and we'll talk to a little bit about this. Well, you never know exactly what the committee is going to do because the committee changes from year to year. But the idea of rewarding a team, you know, that played such a bad non-conference schedule, probably a little tough. But but I would also say this: Washington a couple of years ago played a pretty bad non-conference schedule, finished with only one loss in a conference championship, and then did squeeze in too. Yes. But remember, that was the year that OU had two losses, and I believe Penn State had two losses, too. 
Right. So, yeah, so they were able to get into that mix because they they at least had one loss in the conference championship on their side. Let me ask you this, because the committee has changed this year. It's only a four-year sample size, so I think a lot of us, me, you, and, and the folks who, like, sort of keep a keen eye on this thing are looking for patterns, right, of, of mm-hmm. where— and I think one pattern that might be developing is as much as they said this conference champion, it's sort of a tiebreaker. It may not be as strong of a tiebreaker as we thought it would be. I, I, I when I know when the playoff first started, thought, oh, the conference champion, they'll probably defer to that a lot. And then within the first four years, twice they don't. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you could sense any patterns with just the fact that the committee has changed has rob mullen given you any insight or any evidence through his interviews publicly privately that the the mindset of the committee has changed as the people have changed no well there are so there are six new committee members and no because they haven't gotten to that point where they're for, forced with reckoning that decision right yeah so, and as you know, like when you go through the mock, you don't necessarily ha- come to terms with that decision either until it's staring you in the face. And what, what exactly is the situation? Are they talking about Alabama, which was their number one team all along, against a Michigan team that won the Big Ten and only lost this to Notre Dame and won in Columbus? So that's where you kind of go into it. And the fact that those things aren't weighted, like you said, I was with you, like going into this thing, like, oh, conference championship is going to matter more than those head-to-head or, you know, strength of schedule, those other um, conditions that they use as tiebreakers. And that's not necessarily the case. That, too, is subjective. How much does it matter to you? Does it matter more to the five head coaches in the room that who know how hard it is to win a conference title? So I, I think it it's a decision that will be subjective to all 13 of those people if and when they have to go ahead and make that. You know, it's funny. It almost seems to me, and again, you hate to make broad stroke opinions here because it's such a small sample size, but I'm almost getting the, the feeling over the four years that conference championships in football are in some ways almost treated like the conference tournaments in basketball in that I understand you get a trophy at the end of it and we make a big deal of it and it's on a neutral field and it gets a a big TV ratings but it's just another game that we're evaluating like we're we're taking it speaking for the committee here we're going to take it as just another game and the consequences that come with it or the extra, the trophy that comes with it, we'll work that in, again, in a tiebreaker situation. But, it, but again, to me, I was surprised. But it, it has a basketball feel to it because in the conference tournaments leading up to the NCAA tournament in basketball, you realize that they really don't have that big of an impact. They're just extra games. Right, but there are also extra opportunities to right. compensate for a loss earlier in the season. Like, what has Ohio State done since it got thumped by Purdue to help anyone erase the memory of that game? <laughs> well, at least that they makes- have one, though. <laughs> <laughs> they have one. They have one. But that is the kind of ink blot on your resume that's tough for the committee to get over, just like Iowa was last year for them. Just like, I think it was a Penn State-Michigan game two years Um So, you know, how you win and how you lose matters in that room. And if Notre Dame were to slip up, not having that conference championship game uh, is a disadvantage because then they don't have one more shot when everybody else does to say, hey, look at us. We really are one of the four best, even though we, you know, screwed up against our rival on the road at USC to end the season. Um, So I, I think that they can help and they can hurt. And the other thing is, is the reason they didn't want 
it to be the end all be all is because Ralph, what if Northwestern wins? What if Utah wins and Pitt wins? And then you're looking at a, a system where you've got conference champions in and everybody's looking at three, four lost teams and being like, wait a minute, this is the 18 playoff we wanted? What? These well, are the best teams in the country. I, I think that's how you get UCF in. Quite frankly, I, I think I might even write that a little bit for tomorrow because I know the rankings themselves aren't going to be all that interesting. So I, I was sort of playing with the idea of like, you want UCF in the discussion? Well, you have the landmines set right to to sort of force UCF in to a certain degree you mentioned Notre Dame let's backtrack on them I have a sense that what I've been sort of pushing is listen I know Notre Dame does not want to uh, want to test this (laughs) out by losing this weekend and USC does not look like a team that is capable of sort of rising up with some kind of passionate effort and uh, knocking off their rivals so I think things will go in line But it's hard not to look at where Notre Dame is and easily see a situation where, you know what, they may have built up enough leeway here to lose because the Big 12 is so volatile. Because it wouldn't be crazy to see Washington beat Washington State in the Apple Cup. So, in other words, I don't think Notre Dame is at a loss if it loses to USC, only because there's some very viable options for some chaos, a little bit of chaos in the other conferences. I agree 100%. I mean, if, you, if you've if you got a two-loss West Virginia winning the Big 12, who do you take? One-loss Notre Dame or two-loss Big 12 champ? I, I would pick the Irish. And I don't think that people are giving enough credit to Notre Dame's strength of schedule. I love our strength of record metric, and I'm not saying that because I work at ESPN. I'm saying that because... 14 of the past 16 semifinalists have been ranked in the top four of the strength of record. (laughs) So it's very indicative and correlates very well to playoff teams. And Notre Dame right now, as we sit here this week, is number one. And that means that the average top 25 team would have a 3% chance of going undefeated against Notre Dame's schedule. They, I mean, clearly Syracuse isn't a number 12 team. Right, but but that's a good win. That's a convincing win on a day when everybody else kind of got wishy-washy wins. They beat the Big Ten West champs on the road. They beat Northwestern. The win against Pitt, looking a lot better. And, of course, Michigan, right? So when you look at that, yes, I do think they can afford to lose and still be in the conversation. Is it a gamble? Absolutely. They they would have to hope that Ohio State, you know, two loss, two loss Big 12 champ, a couple other things, whatever it might be, but I would not write them off if they lose that USC game until we see how everything else unfolds. Yeah, the thing with Notre Dame's schedule, which I feel like everybody tends to underrate, is even though some of their really marquee opponents weren't ended up not being quite as good like Virginia Tech and Stanford, those are teams that you usually <laughs> anticipate, okay, that's a top 20, a top 15 win. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame still tends to play mostly decent competition. And when you have decent competition every week, as opposed to, yeah. oh, we're going to throw an FCS in here, and we're going to have a low-level, uh, you know, group of five in here, like some other comp- some other teams. And, and listen, the SEC can certainly do this because they only have eight conference games, the ACC. But even in the Big Twelve and in the Big Ten, you can sort of manipulate things a little bit, where you can sprinkle in some very low-level games, and that sort of refreshes you. Notre Dame doesn't really have those. They have strange travel they have a lot of night games so I tend to give I'll always give a little more credit for Notre Dame's schedule even if it's only a bunch of like if you rated everybody from one to ten on their schedule if you played a five every week 
that's mm-hmm. still challenging, right? That's still a game that you, if you play poorly, you could lose. So maybe they don't have as many eights and nines and tens on their schedule, but they do tend to always have a lot of five, sixes, and sevens. Right, and and the committee realizes that. I think a, a lot of people get wrapped up in, well, how many top 25 teams did you beat? And that's not all it is. It's how many teams over 500 did you beat? How many games were on the road? How many were night games? Like, they take all of those things into consideration. I mean, even as bad as Notre Dame, as bad as Navy is, they played them in San Diego, which is a pretty Navy place to play. It, you know, so they factor all of those things in. And at the end of the day, when you add it up, like you said, from top to bottom, Notre Dame's not playing cupcakes. Okay, Heather, we're going to take a very quick break, and then we'll wrap up with a couple more bigger picture questions about the future of the playoff and where things might go if things get a little weird. Uh, right after this, I'm talking with Heather Dinich of ESPN. She is the playoff maven on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. And we're back. This is Ralph Russo with the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. Heather Dinich from ESPN is joining me. So, Heather, one of the things that comes up a lot is, and I think Dan Wetzel, who's great, who's one of the best sports writers in the country with Yahoo, wrote last week about, hey, if you were to get this scenario with Alabama, Georgia, and Notre Dame in the playoff, that would spark change. Right, because you'd have three of the power conferences left out, conceivably leaving out the Big Ten again, and Delaney wasn't happy about that last year. I'm sure he wouldn't be happy about it this year. There's a scenario in which the results of who gets in would prompt change sooner rather than later. What is your opinion on that? Do you think that there are scenarios that could lead to more quick change to the playoff structure as opposed to waiting the 12 years or so that the contract with ESPN lasts? It could because, but I think it would have to happen more than once. Three times the Big Ten champ being left out, okay, maybe that's enough for a Big Ten commissioner, Jim Delaney, to speak up about it. Maybe that's enough for him to change his mind and become a proponent of playoff expansion. But it's going to take more than Jim Delaney and American Athletic Conference um, Commissioner Mike Oresco to speak out on it. There are 10 FBS commissioners and Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick, who are the ones who put this system into place. And when they did, said that the conference championships are important, but they don't have to be the end-all, be-all. They all agreed to this. And there were compromises made that still exist today. So I think playoff expansion is inevitable because that's what sport and life do. You go (laughs) follow the money and there's more money to be made. It will happen at some point. But there is also a great hesitancy by everyone involved to make sure that whatever they do doesn't devalue the regular season. That's so important to people. They don't want it to become a game of attrition uh, where, the, where the healthiest team wins. And, and the other thing is that they didn't want the automatic qualifiers. So, yeah, I think it will happen at some point, but it's going to take more than the Big Ten being left out three times in my mind to, to do that. Uh, one of the things I've always thought is that well, let me just clarify oh, that. Sure. The Big Ten was in. Ohio State was in. Obviously, I'm talking about Big like, Ten champion because Ohio State got in without winning. Got, gotcha. Right. Um, the Big Ten champion. The Big Ten champion. My feeling with the playoff has always been that I think you'll need a change of leadership because it was a lot of work to put this thing together. I mean, I know people sort of like poo-poo that, 
But, you know, if you're John Swafford and Jim Delaney and Greg Sankey, like, you have a lot of other things on your plate. You know, these are, like, fairly busy guys. I don't want to make it sound like they're breaking rocks, but they have, they're have they fairly busy guys. And to take the time that it takes to put another playoff system together is not something that I think that there a lot of these guys are really looking to do. So, you know, I think Delaney's contract is up in 2020, and there's been talk that that will be it for him. You know, I could see John Swafford after his next deal. He'll be in his 70s that maybe it's time to step aside. I think the the playoff contract, I believe, runs through 2025, is it? Your math is better than mine. We're yeah. at the 12-year market. Right, right. <laughs> so I think it's through 2025 season. It would seem to me by the time you get toward the end of that contract, you might have some new conference commissioners who have an appetite for, like, taking on a big project. Part of that project is convincing your presidents to get on board with this stuff. There's just a lot of none of the things that prevent the playoff from expanding. None of the things that are used as excuses, excuse me, to prevent the playoff from expanding can't be overcome. But they do have to be dealt with. Where are you going to play these games, when, and things along those lines. There's a lot of logistics here that would uh, need effort to be dealt with. Right. Yeah, all very real things. Oh, and by the way, university presidents have a role in all this, too, right? right? And and they're they are not talked about. They're they're not heard from. But they're on the uh, management board. They over they oversee the whole thing behind the scenes, how the playoff works. So there's another whole other layer to it um, of of the highest ranking university officials. So yes, it's not done with a snap of the fingers by any means. Okay, let me circle around last thing here because we have mentioned it about the idea of Alabama. Uh, and Right, and that was sort of Wetzel's uh, thesis is that, you know, if Alabama loses, they're still going to get in, and that would be this, this cascade of controversy. And I do want to talk about this a little bit because we don't know. We won't know until that Sunday and if, how things play out. But it's I found it hard the last couple of years when they left the conference champions out. But, you know, again, you live and learn. I've learned that, like, that's not that big of a deal anymore. If Alabama loses its its conference championship, having not really played all that tough of a schedule, you know, not necessarily a bad schedule. I think that's been overplayed. The Alabama's played no one. You know what? Their schedule looks a lot like everybody else's, frankly. Yep. But it's nothing special. It seems like if you put Alabama in without beating Georgia, you are basically just saying, well, Alabama's just always going to get in here. Like it just seems like you're that really holding them to a, a certain level of accountability, and I don't know. I don't. What do you think about that? No, I I think that <clears throat> excuse me, that's a, a valid point, but it depends on who they're being compared against. I, I don't think that people are giving enough credence to the fact that Michigan could get in instead of Alabama. Right, because if everything plays out like relatively normally, that could be the choice, right? Clemson looks like it has a clear right. path. Let's just like I know there's a zillion different scenarios, but like let's just take the most plausible one, which would be comparing Alabama and Michigan. Right, because Clemson is in, Notre Dame is in, Georgia would be in because they won the SEC championship. So then, what do you do? Do you take the Big Ten champ, Michigan, or do you take Alabama, which lost to Georgia? Right, and I feel like ninety percent of college football fans and just people who are listening say, "Oh, there's no way they leave Alabama out. This could be the best Alabama team ever." Well, if they lose to Georgia, maybe they're not the best Alabama team ever. (laughs) And then 
are they comparable to Michigan? Because if they are comparable in the selection committee's eyes, then you do go to the tiebreakers. And when you do go to the tiebreakers, Michigan would have the conference championship game. They would have a win in Columbus. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of other good things about Michigan right now that the committee would debate. It's just not a given. I feel like people are like, oh, they won't leave Alabama out because they didn't do it last year because they haven't done it. Well, they might. Yeah, that is clearly the most interesting thing. And I tell people who are uh, not necessarily fans of the SEC in Alabama that, listen, in this case, you probably want to root to just root for Alabama to take care of its business because if they lose, it gets really complicated. And the complication could be screwing your team. So don't right. yeah. So so as much as you might not want to roll with the tide, you want to roll them through right to the playoff and just have them eliminate all the other SEC possibilities. So That's true. That's a good point. So Heather, I know we've been trying to do this for a while. We are both moving targets. I very much appreciate you taking a little time to to dive into playoff talk with me and scenarios. And uh, I'll force you to make a prediction. Where do you think we'll end up? Because here's the thing, too. We have never gone from Election Day last week, the second or third rankings. Now I can't remember. I think last week was the second rankings. We have mm-hmm. never gone from Election Day to Selection Sunday with the same top four. So to think that what we see now and what we saw then, which was Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Michigan, is going to stay that way, that would be unprecedented. Even though it looks like it's very possible, it would be unprecedented. So, you know, we won't hold you to it, but we'll probably make funny of you if you get it wrong. (laughs) What do you think we're going to see on Selection Sunday? I can't believe I'm saying this because it's not the way college football works, but I think it's going to be status quo. I think it's the same. One, two, three, four, right down the line, because I'm not picking Ohio State to win that game. I'm going to pick Michigan. And, I, you know, even if Alabama or Clemson lose um, to their rivals, as long as they finish as one-loss conference champs, they're in. I mean, does the order change? Maybe if they lose, but I think it's the same four teams. Yeah, it does look like it's set up to be status quo, and that if it's not, it's going to be something big and odd that happens. So, well, well, listen, Heather Dinich from ESPN, the the playoff reporter, does a great job. Thank you so much for joining me, and uh, happy Thanksgiving, Heather. Same to you. Thank you so much for having me on. And now, three and out. First down. The coaching carousel is picking up speed. On Sunday, Colorado fired Mike McIntyre, and two group of five jobs came open, Texas State and Charlotte. This coming Sunday after Thanksgiving, expect some more moves and decisions one way or the other. Remember, if schools decide to make a change, it's in the best interest to act fast with the early signing period looming on December 19th. That's why I'd be surprised if we don't know what USC will do with Clay Helton, keep him or let him go, by Monday. Then again, this is USC, and rarely are things done conventionally by the Trojans. Other hot spots this weekend include Rutgers, North Carolina, and Texas Tech. From everything I have heard, talking to folks in the business, North Carolina seems to be likely to keep Larry Fedora. I still think the odds are on Chris Ash's side at Rutgers. I think that the school really does not want to do another search after just three seasons. As for Texas Tech, that's a particularly tough one because Cliff Kingsbury seemed to be in the clear just a few weeks ago. Now Tech is again just trying to get bowl eligible and on a four-game losing streak, though it has played the second half of the season without freshman quarterback 
Alan Bowman. Kingsbury only has two years left on his deal. So not only does Texas Tech have to decide whether it wants to keep him, but it probably also needs to figure out if it wants to extend his contract. That would be a tough ask for a coach who is 35 and 39 in six seasons and only 19 and 34 in the Big 12. Kingsbury, though, could turn out to be a really highly covered offensive coordinator if the Red Raiders do make a move. Second down. If Ohio State loses to Michigan on Saturday, I would think Urban Meyer and Athletic Director Gene Smith would act quickly to make it known that Meyer is coming back next season, if he indeed is coming back next season. Sure, the Buckeyes would have a big bowl game to play down the road, but with no conference title or playoff on the line, so much speculation about Meyer's future this season, the school needs to provide some assurances about the head coach. And if Meyer does step away, it certainly would be nice for Ohio State to know it sooner rather than later. One caveat about all that, though. Ohio State is one of the few jobs in the country that no matter when it comes open, it would have high-quality candidates to hire. Third down. It looks like another year when five and seven teams won't be needed to fill all the bowl games. There was much consternation a couple of years back in 2015 when the NCAA needed to come up with a plan to select five and seven teams for open bowl spots because there were not enough six-win teams to go around. Last season, college football lost the bowl, and there were enough six-win teams to fill all the spots. Now the folks who track and project bowl games believe that there might be as many as five or six more eligible teams than postseason spots, which of course begs the question, do we need more bowls? That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Podcast One. Please subscribe so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening. Happy Thanksgiving, and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.